0: Welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. It is always such a kick to see what characters and movies our co-hosts will bring us to discuss, and that is certainly true today, as I am joined by the Finnish director, Hannah Bergholm, her new film, Hatching... It's a little bit of a body horror, a little bit of a coming-of-age story. It is subtle, it's understated, but it is gruesome at times and technically fascinating in others. It's it's an IFC movie. And I just want to shout out to IFC because if you like A24 horror, IFC was doing it before A24 was doing it. IFC Midnight has been bringing us weird, cool, strange, innovative, boundary-pushing, artful for four years now and uh a24 has its you know cult behind it and good for them oh the rising tide lifts all boats but i'm going to include in this intro a special shout out to ifc midnight because they've been doing the damn thing forever which brings us to hannah Bergholm and her choice we're gonna go with a true hollywood classic a good old black and white film for our discussion today it has been called one of the most romantic ghost stories of all time and honestly I agree from 1947 it is The Ghost and Mrs. Muir directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz and this is going to be uh, a lot of fun I'm glad to dip into some classics here today and later of course we will have one quick thing before I go and that is going to be completely off topic because I'm going to talk about Tron from 1982 but for now let's get on with the show my co-host for today came into the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year and dazzled Sundance audiences with the critically acclaimed film hatching. Hannah Bergholm, thank you so much for being here and taking the time. <laughs> it's
1: great to be here. It's uh, evening here in Finland and, uh, and it's been very hectic with having... Uh, a lot of interviews for here and there, but this is just uh, this is fun.
0: <laughs> we have a dual purpose today. I want to highlight your work, and I also want to highlight work that was meaningful to you, as we do on yep. the show, talking about important, influential, formative characters. And I had never seen the film that you brought for us, which is the Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Yes. And we are talking about the titular character played by Gene Tierney, Lucy Muir. Hannah, what was it? I had never seen this before, and what a delight this was. Why did you want to pick this film and this character? Uh...
1: Yes, that, that uh, film Ghost and Mrs Muir, it was made in the 40s, uh, mm-hmm. old Hollywood film by Mankiewicz and it's quite not that well known film. So I really wanted to highlight that film because it is a wonderful film and uh, it's a film about uh, the widower about 100 years ago who moves into a house by the sea with her little daughter mm-hmm. and in the house she sees a ghost of a sea captain and she starts to have in conversation with the sea captain. Why do you haunt?
2: Because I have plans for my house, which don't include a pack of strangers barging in and making themselves at home. Then you were trying to frighten me away. Did you call all that trying? Mm. <laughs> I'd barely started. Now that was enough for all the others. I think it's very mean of you frightening people. Childish too. Well, in your case, I'm prepared to admit I chartered the course with regret. You're not a bad looking woman, you know. Especially when you're asleep,
1: and together they write a book uh, uh, of the sea captain's life. Mm-hmm. And and I have always loved that film and felt very strongly that I can relate to this film. Not that I'm not a widower and I, <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a ghost of a sea captain in my house. So, so
0: unfortunately, the,
1: unfortunately, but so the plot is not from my life, but what i can really relate to having a strong imagination and all all the time imagining stories in my head so so for me this is really a love story about Mm -hmm. how to create a fiction Mm -hmm. and so in the film you can kind of think that maybe the ghost doesn't even exist it might be only in her head and but with those maybe imaginary conversations become something like a book that exists and in her life because she's it's kind of a very feministic film as well because yeah. she's seeking she's seeking kind of a, a companion for herself who is kind of equal or who treats her as an equal and she also seeks a profession for herself and kind of place in the world for herself and she doesn't really unfortunately in this film find that really in the real life mm-hmm. and the only very Equal relationship for her is this imaginary ghost character and her biggest achievement is to write this book. I simply had to get in to see you. I I have a manuscript.
2: Of course you have. Twenty million discontented females in the British Isles and every blessed one of them is writing a novel. But I... Don't tell me what's in it. I know. Bless my soul, madam. I've got to publish this bilge in order to stay in business. But I don't have to read it. No, madam, I do not. And now if you'll pardon me, I'm busy. Come back here, you blasted grandpas! Pardon.
1: For me, what is wonderful about this film, it really honors the importance of imagination and mm-hmm. ideas and, uh, and emotions. And all those things are something... That you don't see when we are discussing about feeling seen mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so our emotions our thoughts our ideas are something that you don't really see and and sometimes you might think that they are not important and but they are important they are mm-hmm. part of our life and so so yeah so that's what i really love mm-hmm. about this film and there is a slight relation in these themes for also for our film hatching because yeah, there absolutely. is also, uh, kind of a creature that the girl has as her <laughs> friend.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I also like, because it's it, there's a line in the, there's a, the, a very 1947 line in this movie. When, when Jean Tierney's character, Lucy talks about how like, she's talking to her, her housekeeper and she's like, you know, you've led a very productive life.
2: Here I am nearly halfway through life.
1: What have I done? <laughs> I know what I've done. All right. Cooked enough steaks to choke an hippopotamus. And kept the name of Uglins as fair as the day I found it. You've led a very useful life, Martha. I have nothing to show for all my years.
0: My life's half over and I haven't done anything. And I think Jean Tierney is 27 when she made this movie. Yeah. It was like, oh, the 40s. <laughs> and it was. It's. it's interesting watching, you know, thinking in the context of you, knowing I'm going to talk to you about it. It is a coming-of-age film in its way. It just Mm -hmm. happens to be that was sort of like the nature of gender dynamics in the mid-century – that women were, you know, could potentially be coming of age in their twenties or thirties because yeah. they had been so much under the thumb of the yeah. parents or the successive man who took care of them in their lives. Yeah, and we meet her basically, kind of feeling like she's having a teenage rebellion. It's like she's, yeah. it's like she's a seventeen-year-old sitting, you know, in her it would be like her parents, but it's her in-laws' house, and she's like, "I've never had a life of my own. I want to get out of here." Like basically just being, she's being very direct. her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law being like I don't like it here and I gotta get out of here and I'm taking my housekeeper with me like this isn't working peace out I'm going to the ocean and it's I was so tickled the entire movie watching these like continued assertions of her autonomy in the face of people who try to close her in in a very matter-of-fact way it wasn't showy it wasn't like you know let's have this hysterical woman throwing a tantrum about her independence. Yeah. It was just very matter of fact, like I'm a person. I want to make choices. I want to decide my life. Yeah. And that's not not what's going on in hatching yeah. as well with this little like preteen 12 year old girl. Yeah,
1: exactly. So hatching is a horror drama about a young girl who tries to please her very demanding mother and succeed in gymnastics and uh, this mother is an influencer showing her perfect family life to the whole world in her very popular vlog so the daughter has all the time to perform and be perfect and one day she finds a bird's egg and takes it home to her bed and starts hatching it and until out of the egg hatches something Unexpected <laughs> something. <laughs> so in our film, the girl is just, uh, just a preteen. But basically, that is the same situation, that she's really under her mother's uh, total control because the mother treats her daughter as something that is just belonging to her and is there to fulfill the mother's dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the girl also feels <laughs> like this Miss Muir, that she she doesn't have anything of her own. Yeah. And yeah. I also feel that in hatching, the most real relationship to me is between the girl and this uh, creature that she mm-hmm. kind of hatches out from the neck.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when, how old were you when you saw Ghost and Mrs. Muir? Because you, you are a fan yeah. of classic cinema. When when did this come yes. into your life? Yes. Uh, I
1: must have, I was quite young. Uh, maybe something like, 10 or something yeah I was quite young and and I have always loved even as a child I Mm. felt that this is Really, my film, even though I wasn't a widow <laughs> even <laughs> then. But yeah, but and, and I always loved the sea and the seagulls, and the film is also the whole atmosphere, is the seaside and we definitely ocean.
0: have lost our way in movies when it comes to people moving to a cliffside sea home. Yeah. We need yeah. to do that more. We yes. lost track of that. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. So so yeah, I've always loved that film and how it gives honor to this uh imagination Mm -hmm. and creation
0: Mm -hmm. and did you feel like when when you were when you were growing up watching watching movies from a young age did you feel like it was normal to see a character like lucy who was so forceful about her her independence and her intention to make a life of her own did did anything about that feel set apart from other heroines or or was that just kind of like no i expect this from from my film Uh characters
1: uh, no, it was totally different from many other films because in so many films I had watched loads and loads of classics films and from all different countries, and uh, and yeah, they are very cool male characters, but usually women are just you know they are just basically objects or yeah. what they only thing they want is to find a man, and it was so refreshing to find a story that where this woman first of all, well, she also kind of would like to have a companion, but that is not her first goal at all. Mm-hmm. Her first goal is to have a life of her own and have mm-hmm. independence. And that was so refreshing. And and uh, and also, <laughs> since many, many years, uh, when p- people ask you that if you could be a character Mm -hmm. in a film who would you like to be Mm -hmm. and then I have started to think that okay well I want to be a woman Mm -hmm. and 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 I want to be someone who really kind of is complex interesting character Mm -hmm. and who ends up being the leader of the world because I want to be a leader (laughs) and and, uh, so I mean whatever it means it couldn't be the leader of a village or the world or Mm -hmm. spaceship or whatever and uh and and that I don't get raped during (laughs) the travel. I don't maybe have to show my breasts to the whole world and that I don't die in the end or (laughs) that becoming a leader doesn't mean that I have to lose all the love of my life. Mm -hmm. And then I start to think that, okay, this is what I want to find. And yet today, I haven't found that. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. yeah, and I really start to think where I mean I, and I wanted to be a lead character, not a side character. Yeah. And and that is very tricky. And even in Ghost and Mrs Muir, it, it's quite sad story, so she doesn't really come become a leader. So mm-hmm. yeah, and there are so many stories of men that fit to this description, but not really of women and that is something I'm still
0: searching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a thing I thought was interesting watching this was I like, I kept waiting for something. Like, she obviously we opened this, she's a widow, she's lost her husband. But I'm, I feel like I'm so trained to expect danger for women that yeah. I kept waiting. I was like, okay, now something horrible is gonna happen yeah. to her. <laughs> like, I was waiting when she went to the publisher and she's like, I've got this, I've been communicating with a dead sailor and he told me his biography. <laughs> I was like, oh that publisher's gonna steal her manuscript and put yeah. his name on it. Like, I kept looking for more ways, that this one was just gonna get screwed over. Yeah. And yeah, she meets a dirtbag guy, played by George Sanders. He's yeah. a two-timer. He's got a wife and a family elsewhere. But like... You see him for five minutes in the movie and George Sanders is incredible as always. I absolutely yes, love him. Yes. But then he like, she thinks she's gonna marry him then he goes away and then she yeah. lives a life of companionship with her her house, her her caretaker in the house and honestly, it's a nice little life by the sea. She's in love with yes. the house and she is in love with the sailor. She's like, yeah. biding her time to get to the sailor but I was really happy at the end of this movie when I was like, oh, another horrible thing didn't happen to her. Yes. And I felt like a sense of <laughs> I was, like, aware of the sense of relief I felt when another cataclysmically terrible thing didn't happen to this woman because I feel so conditioned to expect that now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it is really in that... In many films, if there is an independent woman, she really needs to be punished in, yes, in the film. Punished. Yeah, exactly. It's like Tell Man Louise, which is a great film, but I mean, uh, they run away from men and in the end they drive
0: down from the cliff. So yeah. it's like, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Ah. And it feels like, because, you know, her. In like the women's pictures that were like women's films of that that really thrived in the sort of mid-century area that were very big in like the the 30s and the 40s and the kind of peaked around World War II. They were carried by legends like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and like and it it was a very interesting time in cinema for women because you had studios targeting female audiences heavily during the war effort when presumably men were off, you know, fighting the fight and women were home fighting fighting on the home front, but there was a large base of women that they were like, we should cater to these people who are out here seeing movies while their husbands are away. And there's this tension between like So many of those films are like rooted around domestic concerns of like the wife, the mother, but also they're films that featured women and their stories and their interests in a way that felt that feels almost exceptional even now in the volume of films we got at the time. And as somebody who is a classic film lover like yourself... I wanted to know if you had any thoughts about the way we just sort of like dropped off the women's picture for a really long time. Yeah, true and very good point. And that's what
1: I also, I'm really missing to have these uh, female stories and female gaze in, in films and some having some characters I could really relate to. And, uh, and that was also the reason why we started to uh, planned the the story of hatching with the screenwriter, Ilya Rauzsi. So when he told me his first idea, that was that a boy hatches a double ganger out of an egg. So I immediately wanted to change the lead character into a girl, exactly because I feel that I, I really need to see more uh, stories about girls and women in films. I love this house. I, I thought
2: I must stay here the moment I saw it. I... I can't explain it. It it was as if the house itself were welcoming me and asking me to rescue it from being so empty. You can't understand that, can you? I suppose you think I'm just a
1: silly woman. that's the way I feel.
2: Mm. Well, might be some truth in it of that. I felt that way about a ship once.
0: What is it about classic film that that really speaks to you? You you've cited 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea as like an early favorite of yours. You yeah, yeah. talked about loving Kurosawa and Visconti and obviously you've brought this movie today. Like what is the sort of siren song of those films and sort of classics of yore that really appeal to you and really raised you on film? Why why do they speak to you so much?
2: Uh
1: well, I have always liked uh many kind of films from different Errors also mm-hmm. uh, very uh, new films. So sure. so um, maybe what I really love about some of my favorite films is this very uh, visual storytelling, mm-hmm. and, and also in Ghost and Mrs. Muir, kind of giving the plot is quite simple actually, yeah. but then giving uh, giving space to the to the well the music and images and uh, and just the the sea roaring and yeah. and kind of uh telling about the characters' emotions through the visuality and uh, the audiovisual mm-hmm. style of the film and, and that is something I really uh admire and appreciate because for me uh this kind of audiovisual language of the film uh is kind of for me kind of direct uh link for emotions even more than just plain words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And you know what the thing I realized while I was watching this? I was like, are my favorite male characters um, men who are dead who have no tangible corporeal <laughs> form and so therefore can pose no like physical threat to women? I found myself becoming more and more endeared. Because like, obviously you warm to the captain because the captain warms to Lucy, yeah. who he calls Lucia because yeah. he <laughs> wants her to have a bold name befitting yeah. adventure.
1: Yeah. My name is Lucy.
2: Doesn't do you justice, my dear. Women named Lucy are always being imposed upon, but Lucia, there's a name for an Amazon, for a queen.
0: I realized that I I started to like him more, not only because he warmed to her, but because I was like, you can't hurt her.
2: Yeah. You
0: can't hurt her. And then when George Sanders enters the frame, (laughs) and he's immediately close to her, he is within inches of her every time he's speaking. And I was like... I found myself having this really, like, almost repulsed reaction of, like, get away, yeah. get, oh, get your face away from her face. Yeah. And I really wanted the guy back who yeah. didn't have a body to touch her body because yeah. it freaked me out when he did. And I <laughs> yeah. thought, like, you were saying about, like, you know, you want to be, become rise as the leader, become the hero of the story, but also not, f- be, not fear sexual assault and not have to, yeah. like, pay your way through by, like, exposing your body when you don't want yeah. to. And I was like... Wow, the measure of relief I'm feeling in a movie when I know a man cannot physically touch a woman yeah. is shocking and disappointing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and actually, I really admire how uh, the body language of the actors has been directed. They did such a great job. Yeah, because I really love, like you said, this uh, George Sanders character played so well and it's, it's captured so well, uh, this kind of feeling. I'm sure that most women can uh, relate to at, you know, at some point of their life meeting this kind of man who kind of gets too close and it's just, you know, so (laughs) <laughs> who kind of crosses the line and is... I wanted done. her to punch him in the nose. Yes, I was like, exactly. God, he's <laughs> close.
2: Yes. My husband is dead.
1: Oh.
2: Oh? Oh, I do wish he'd had it. Well, there's no rush now. We'll get there in time.
1: Uh, it's so funny because he really, when there is close up of the woman, uh, the man even come, <laughs> comes to the same close up, and that is so funny. And uh, and and with the, this ghost captain, mm-hmm. uh, they are kind of uh, they never touch each other, and mm-hmm. they are and they are looking each other in the eyes, and they are kind of uh, they are treated as equals, and the mm-hmm. the ghost uh, really listens to her, and it's mm-hmm. very i think it's it's made in the forties, but I would say it's modern still this portray of what is respect a uh, uh, kind of respectful and uh yeah. an equal relationship when you kind of listen to the other person maybe argue with the other person but kind of. Uh, appreciate the other person as a whole person, even though, well, the other one is gold. But, and <laughs> yeah. then,
0: and He's all uh, but for his body. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then and then there's this total opposite, this kind of disgusting disgusting person who is just gets too close and is kind of like oh you're so lovely and <laughs> and uh, and and isn't at all interested in even in the book that the woman is writing he's yeah. kind of he just uh makes fun of the woman's writing and and calls it kind of these female yeah. stories and so on and it's actually it's very modern uh, story about equality and and appreciating other person and unfortunately this film the only uh, kind of equal relationship it is with the ghost and it's not possible with this real yeah. person I hope <laughs> that is not the case in real
0: life. <laughs> yeah the only the only safe man is the man who who is who has to evanesce i love it i just this is completely unrelated. i'm not just gonna start saying lines from this movie but when she like wants him to disappear and she's like go away decompose he's like dematerialize madam <laughs> yeah. i was like this movie's very funny i yeah. love this yeah thank you for thank you for introducing me to this title i really yeah. i was really a fan we are going to take a quick break, but we will be right back to talk more with Hannah Berghold.
2: Thank you so much to everyone who participated in this year's Max Fun Drive. If you're a member who wants to purchase additional patches, our annual shop is now live. The proceeds for this year's sale will be going to Trans Lifeline. Any time is a good time to donate to Trans Lifeline, but this year it feels particularly important. Trans Lifeline is a nonprofit for the trans community by the trans community. We're grateful that with your support, we'll be able to help Trans Lifeline connect trans folks to the support and resources they need to survive and thrive. The sale will run until Friday, May 20th. Folks at the $10 monthly level and above will have access to all of the patches from the drive. We also have a special network patch starring Nutsy that all members can purchase. For more information on Trans Lifeline, visit translifeline.org. And for more information on the patches, head to maximumthunorg slash patch sale. Hey, this is Alden Ford. And Mujan
1: Zofagari. And we are here with all the other creators of Mission to Zix. Hello.
2: Hello. Hey. You're not going to
0: say our names, too? No, no. It's a no, short promo. Yeah, yeah sort of speed through. Now, with the
1: end of our fifth and final season just a few weeks away, we want to say thank you to Maximum Fun and to every single one of you who has listened to and supported Mission to Zix. Thank you. And if you haven't checked it out, well, Mission to Zix is an improvised space opera with blockbuster-quality sound design, a score performed by an actual 60-person orchestra and hilarious guest comedians on every episode and as our final episodes air now is the perfect time to jump on board Mm -hmm. that's mission to zix z y x x on maximum fun
0: Back to feeling seen. I'm talking to Hannah Bergholm, who's joining me remotely from Finland. Her new movie is called Hatching, and it follows a young girl coming of age through her journey raising a monster egg bigger than her that contains a creature roughly her own size. So that's alarming. Uh, and the character that Hannah felt seen by is Lucy Muir from the 1947 classic The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. So let's get back to business. One of the most fun things about this this format of talking to people is like, when I'm watching the things they they bring to the table, I get to put the what I'm watching specifically through the lens of the individual that I'm going to speak to and and like their work so I'm watching this and I'm I'm looking at like you know this woman who is persistently over the course of the movie like bucking the expectations of her as as a delicate feminine woman in this world who should be taken care of who should be looked after who shouldn't swear who shouldn't say the word blast who shouldn't tell people to pipe down because it's too harsh of language and then Thinking about that, too, in the context of having seen Hatching and watching this character who like this tiny little, t- t- you know, preteen character who is just the in, the horror of this movie of, is the expectations that her mother has on her that she has for herself and that sort of the construct of being a little girl places on her. And I it, it was I was feeling a lot of through lines between the two of them because I had yeah. that because I had it at the forefront of my mind
1: yes and uh, and that was really uh what we wanted to uh tell in the film hatching uh is that i think the biggest horror in that film is actually that the girl feels that she is, she can't never fulfill the mother's expectations because mm-hmm. and and they are so uh she they are even unclear what the expectations are Mm -hmm. it's uh it it just has to be better and nicer all the time and Mm -hmm. and kind of just embrace whatever the mother is doing and and be just perfect and be the winner and and maybe that is something i can uh also relate to in 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 real life in general in our society that i think many women feel that you always have to have to uh, do a little bit more and be a little bit better in order to be enough. Mm-hmm. For example, in work environment right. or wherever, and that is also something I wanted to deal in this film. Even though this in this film, it happens in the relationship between mother and daughter.
0: I had something I was very excited. I wanted to talk to you about, and we touched on this a bit before when I had, had spoken to you previously about, like um, when you when you were involved in the making of this creature, you had a very specific vision of what you wanted. And um a way that this creature develops, like it's like watching watching a mirrored adolescence between creature, won't spoil what the creature is, and girl. And there is this stickiness and this smelliness yeah. and this ickiness to the creature and and we have that and it kind of like with the girl taking care of this little being that she's raising she kind of like gets that stickiness and that smelliness on her Mm -hmm. too one point it's like god why do you smell bad like it's it's rubbing off on her and then watching this like you know watching a a film from 1947 with the absolute stunner gene tierney Mm -hmm. and ever like watching her take naps in completely tightly buttoned pulled together (laughs) incredible (laughs) outfits I was thinking about sort of like the transgressiveness of women being gross because there is such part of the expectation of of femininity is beauty, is smelling good. It's like the mother character in your movie with the roses and everything is pulled together and it's color coordinated to an almost like frightening degree. It is image curated. And I wanted to hear from you about sort of like the power of imbuing beauty. Grossness into yeah. a female character.
1: Yeah, that—that's what I really wanted to visually portray in the film, so that the overall aesthetic is very kind of what you would consider feminine, very kind mm-hmm. of pastel colors and a lot of roses and everything is so <laughs> lovely. Yeah, and and then uh, something you know, I think it's weird that all the stickiness and smelliness and slimes that belongs to women's body and female life is something that you shouldn't talk about. Even, you know, the commercials that we have of, uh, you know, Periods, the period yeah. blood is always blue, and <laughs> yeah. so it's like what blue and gel from a tube? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's a, uh, and it's for example like uh, women are often compared to be a flower, and and men, wow. at least in Finland, there is a saying that a uh, man should treat a woman like a flower on on palm of their hands, <laughs> okay. and I think that sounds just horrible, like <laughs> yeah. like flower. Uh, but fl- flower doesn't have brains and if it's on your hand it's grasped from its roots yeah and it's yeah. kind of slowly dying and it's in the man's <laughs> power if the man wants to just crush the flower Exactly, <laughs> I think that is and and that is what I hear that women are lovely and beautiful and uh, and everything in female life is so lovely and
0: beautiful and don't mm-hmm. talk about anything else and I think that is so weird well yeah that, that the movie re, the pixar movie recently they came out turning red there was that whole like you know i'm not gonna say it was the conversation on everyone's lips mm-hmm, but there was yeah. certainly a few few days on the internet on twitter where it was people being like you know t- some individuals being like you know this is really too young to be talking about periods in a film <laughs> yeah. for young kids and and the idea of talking about Adolescence and puberty and yeah. menstruation yeah. was just so galling to some people. Yeah. And it's like you realize that not talking about it doesn't make it unexist, right? Yes. Like, and you're not better for not understanding this thing. Yeah. That's affecting a mm, dead set half of the people in this world, perhaps.
1: Yeah, and I think it's weird that it's uh uh kind of if you uh have wars war scene you know, or fight scene and you explode people's <laughs> brains. So that is kind of cool. And then you yeah. say can say that ah women just can't stand the sight of blood. They always faint. And <laughs> I think, I think, oh, do we faint like every month? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, oh whoa. And and it's weird what we can show. We can show extreme violence but mm. but not like menstrual so so it's i don't quite get this logic always
0: <laughs> yeah. and there's something that tells us in in any character but it, i think it feels heightened when it is a woman when it's a girl or a woman that like oh this character is like dirty and untoward and greasy and ill-mannered like you can't trust her yeah. she's like she's clearly not a girl on the up and up because she's a goddamn mess yeah i think that's so interesting and Damning. The fact that there is that like subconscious that's been so reinforced that like subconsciously I can pick up on that. I wanted to hear about the challenge of like likability, but also not caring about likability necessarily when you're writing your own heroines, especially when they're going some, through something so messy as a movie that revolves around like coming of age and puberty and bodies. Uh, yeah,
1: it was actually
0: a. Uh a
1: real joy <laughs> to kind of create this, uh, uh, the creature and the relationship with the creature and the girl in, in our film. And, and also uh, what I really wanted was that uh, the creature is not just an evil character. So it's, it's kind of disgusting in every way, but I really wanted to design the look of the creature and their relationship in a way that you can really relate to it and you can act also kind of like the creature despite of what it looks like and mm-hmm. and uh and also the the very important thing for me was that even though the creature looks disgusting uh Tynia, the girl is mm-hmm. treating the creature in a loving way and says to the creature that you are beautiful and i think mm-hmm. that is a uh, uh very
0: important Thing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially since she's not really receiving that same message from <laughs> yes, her own mom. Her mother. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, remind me, what are the the names of the actresses that play Tinia and her mother?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Siri Solalina. Siri is the uh, who played Tinia and mm-hmm. Sofia Heikila. Sofia is the one who played the mother.
0: I just, I, you know, obviously the m- maternal horror, like the 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 scourged scourge mothers of horror, is its own incredible like canon of villains mm-hmm. and the mother in your movie i think just holds up to any one of those with that sort of like uncanny happiness yeah and and acidity acerbic hatred <laughs> that pours off of her while she's like draped in cream colors yes and and covering her house in flowers
1: yeah exactly and uh and that's how uh for example with the screenwriter Ilya, we really run to write her in that way and also when we designed the the look of the mother uh -hmm. with our makeup artist and uh, with our costume designer Ulrika Schölin and and so so I really wanted her to have these kind of beautiful floral uh soft colored dresses Mm -hmm. and very kind of soft wave so she and light makeup so she looks kind of lovely in every way but then we got the idea of having very sharp nails for Mm -hmm. her and very sharp heels to kind of hint into this sharpness and I I think about this character myself I also kind of um, feel sorry for her as well because I think she's kind of person who like her daughter also is kind of desperately trying to please but she's trying to please the whole world through Mm -hmm. her vlog kind of I think she's trying to get kind of likes and yeah. love and hearts from her anonymous viewers mm-hmm. just by kind of look how lo- wonderful I am and how wonderful my life is and and uh, and I think that is quite sad actually mm-hmm. so I think in in a way she's doing the same thing as her daughter kind of trying desperately to be perfect in order mm-hmm. to get some appreciation
0: there was a pro- there's a professor named Jack Halberstam who um, he has written a bit about like uh, body horror and such. And he talked about uh, I heard him talk about how he thinks that the worst thing that one of the worst things that's happened to queer cinema was when they relaxed the re- when they took away the restrictions of the Hayes Code. Like, there there was so much more creativity under these laws and restrictions. People had to be subversive. People had to work in metaphor, and they had to work under the surface. He's like, and then they lifted the code, and it's all right there, and it's obvious, and it's boring. And so him, he's like, listen, for the past 60, 70 years, we've been in a trough because they took away all the rules that made us more inventive. <laughs> and, like, we were talking about the the women's picture of the mid-century, where it almost feels like they gave women too many movies. And so then the war ended and men came home and they were like, we've got to pull back. We've given women (laughs) too much. And, and we better like, we better start dragging that backward and siloing them off again to supporting roles. I wanted to know if there was a time where you felt like, or maybe there's a specific filmmaker, or maybe there's like a cinematic tradition from some part of the world where you felt like the heroines you were watching were being done right in a way that really resonated with you, in a way that's like, that feels aspirational, or that feels like something I want to work toward. Maybe it's Australian cinema, maybe it's South Korean cinema, maybe it's maybe it's Kurosawa film, but like I wondered wanted to know if there was something there that gave you sort of like inspirational hope for like, I wanna to work towards something like this, or do you kind of feel like you're carving this path on your own in certain ways? Oh, well, Huge question. Take your time.
1: Yes, yes. Because that is a question I have been uh, searching answer for that for a Hmm. long, long time. Yeah, I I must say uh, that I I love the female characters like in uh, James Cameron's films. Okay, even though yeah, even though they are very kind of action films and very manly films, and uh, like you know, Avatar and and. uh, and all those but but actually well and usually those women are not uh protagonists they are often side characters but they they are always we got our Sarah uh, Connor in there we got our Ripley in there yes we we do we do and they are great characters and Mm -hmm. and uh, and anyway even though they are might be side characters sometimes they are kind of real person and mm-hmm. that's uh, what I love about them and some <laughs> old filmmaker that I always love is uh, Howard Hawks and oh. in yeah because in his films there's a lot of humor in them and there's a lot of a uh, uh, kind of camaraderie kind of a friendship between women and men and and that mm-hmm. is something very joyful to see and uh, the uh, they're often very kind of comic Films, but mm. there's a lot of uh, kind of cool humor in them, and I always kind of love those. And uh, you mentioned the films from the 40s in Hollywood, mm. like, uh, and from the early 50s, also, like. Uh, uh, like for example, uh, all about Eve, which is all, all kind of women's film, and
0: one and, of my absolute, one of my top three favorites of all time. Yes,
1: that's <laughs> yeah. piece. piece. Yeah, that that is wonderful, and I really love that film. It's so rare that it's really about relationships between women. It's really women's film, yeah. and that is and that is really cool. And they are such interesting characters, and and that is so rare and mm-hmm. and wonderful and uh, and for for example those are the kind of filmmakers very different from each mm-hmm. other but uh that i have loved and of course the kind of like uh, Jane chain and 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 all those but um i think i'm still kind of
0: searching yeah <laughs> to yeah find more yeah well okay i guess then one of my i, I guess a wind down question would be then your your Tinea is you know Obviously, in in movies, just by virtue of plot and story, I'm not like giving anything away. Like a character is faced with a critical choice; like they have to make a critical choice about like how they want to proceed uh, in their final form toward like all right, how am I gonna how am I gonna be um and how am I gonna grow from when the time this movie started? Yeah. And you know, this is a genre movie that there is there's a sort of is this it becomes like a choice between sort of like the monstrous and the sort of like the polite, the the socially sanctioned. Um and what I wanted to know from you is that where you're at with your career and creatively and, and the, the 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 work you're able to make and I hope the work that you're able to like that you're pitching and that you're feeling like getting you're getting responses to mm-hmm. and, and, and whatnot, do you feel like you are still in a position where you have to carry the burden of that binary between maybe your monstrousness and your more soft, socially acceptable side? Or do you feel like you are at a place is, is the sort of industry or world around you at a place where that choice isn't necessarily forced on you, or does it still feel like a balancing act?
1: Well, I, I really want to think, and that's how I'm thinking that Mm -hmm. I have uh, a choice and possibility to do what I want to do Mm -hmm. and, uh, and not to as a filmmaker to kind of try to please others, but just, do what I want and I
0: think that's how all filmmakers should think Mm -hmm. so that's how (laughs) that's how I want to think yeah Mm -hmm. well that was something and that was something that really surprised me about the end of the ghost and mrs muir which is it's a it's a fascinating movie to watch in 2022 because I I wonder like if you're watching this in 1947 are you looking at this woman and being like oh you know, she had this sad life by the sea, and then, you know, waiting waiting for eternity with her beloved sea captain ghost.
2: When we were writing the book, I was happy. We were accomplishing something together. Now when I try to think about the future, it's, it's all dark and confused. Like, like trying to see into the fog.
0: But I was watching it, and I feel the melancholy in the framing of it. Like, this movie, guys, we go through Mrs. Muir's entire life in this movie. Yeah. Like, the last thing we see her, she's an old woman. We go through the whole yep. thing. And, you know, there's clearly the sense of melancholy. Her daughter grows up and and goes off to get engaged, and she's like, and we, you know, me and Tom want you to come live with us in, like, their mid-Atlantic accents, which we need to bring those back, too. Yeah. Um, and she's like, no, I'm gonna die in this house. I can't yeah. explain it. I love this house. Here's where I'm going to stay. This is 1947, so she wrote one hit book, and she can live in this house uh, for the rest of her life, financially stable. It's great. (laughs) She has her truly best friend and and, um, housekeeper, Martha. And I looked at her, and I was like, Oh, that's a pretty rad life. Like, she lived with her best friend forever. She stayed in the house she loved. She was by the ocean. She wrote the book she didn't know she could ever write, but she did. She had this extraordinary connection with a ghost that has never really left her. And I felt such a sense of, like, peacefulness around her character when it came to the end. And I was like, shit, did this woman in 1947, like, the way I'm watching it through my 2022 lens, did she get to have it all? Cause I kind of felt like she got to have it all. And that felt without having to suffer another apocalyptic trauma along the way. And (laughs) and it felt so rare. And I really liked that about it.
1: Yeah. And, and I really agree. And that's how I also see the film. Of course, it's kind of sad and like how she says that, that at times it has been hard and so on, but that's how life is. Life is not always just happy, happy. There, There is sadness in everybody's life. And and so, but but in the end, she's independent and she's living with mm-hmm. her best friend, her yeah. own life in the house of her own and she, what she loves. And she has created something and she has the memories. And and, and it's very interesting that uh, when she says that I have the memories, even mm-hmm. though it might have been a dream. And yeah. I really love how it gives homage and honor to this, maybe just imagination, but at least you have that imagination. And that mm-hmm. can be value of its own, even though Mm -hmm. you might be alone, if you have your imagination, your ideas and emotions, it's also important. Well, it's asking a great deal to expect anyone to trust her whole future to a... to someone who isn't real.
2: But I am real. I'm here because you believe I'm here. And keep on believing. And I'll always be real to you
1: yes daniel and and what i really love about the ending because in the ending it's kind of fairy tale ending that the ghost yeah. appears and they are together and for me it it tells that in this film's world this kind of fantasy and uh, imagination is real and for mm-hmm. me it's not just romantic ending it's uh it's kind of the same logic as what we wanted for for hatching in, mm. with a screenwriter Ilya Rautzi, that we discussed that uh, we want to make films where uh, you don't kind of explain things by saying that oh she now she woke up and everything was a dream or <laughs> oh yeah she gone crazy and this is all just you know in her head and and yeah. we really want that the uh, the fantasy is kind of real in mm-hmm. the film.
0: I love drawing a connection between a genteel ghost love story (laughs) and a present-day body horror involving love and rejection and murder. Um, What a great combination. Yeah. Hannah, thank you so much for your time today, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Hannah Bairdkholm. Hatching is showing in select theaters here in the U.S., and it should land on streaming starting next week. So as we like to encourage you to do here, support independent films, support small films, vote with your dollars, and go see Hatching. It's a movie I really liked, and it's a movie that I hope you really like too. Um, And now for my completely unrelated One quick thing before I go, Um, I just want to talk about the movie Tron, you guys, because uh, it was one of my first favorite movies in this life, and I had the privilege at the Arrow Theater in Los Angeles of seeing that movie for the first time on a big screen. Uh, I've watched it so many times in my life, never seen it on a big screen, and the Arrow Theater was able to uh, access a 70 millimeter print from Disney itself. This is a Walt Disney archive feature, and I have a friend who works at the Arrow. The wonderful manager Ryan Marker shouts out to you, Ryan Marker and Screen Drafts. Um, he, uh, we were talking about it beforehand, and he assured me he was like Jordan. The sound alone is going to make you weep, and and he was he was right. Like it, it just. I went and saw it with a friend who had never seen it before. And when she was walking, we were walking out, she was like, okay, so what else looked like Tron at the time? Like, what other thing was there that looked like this movie? She had never seen anything like it. And I was like, but, but what else? Like, what laid the foundation for Tron? And I went up to Ryan afterwards. I was like, Ryan, what else looked like Tron? Like, I can't think of anything. And and he's like, there wasn't anything. Like, And, you know, honestly, to this day there's still nothing that looks like Tron. It, it is truly a singular visual experience of a film. Not even new Tron looks like old Tron because technology is so good now that, like, we sincerely look like we can go inside of a fucking computer and it's, like, this rich and neon and sexy digital world. And this is basically, like, being thrown into a 16-bit, fuck, maybe 8-bit video game. And the... There's just no other thing that looks like this movie. It is it is charming. Um, it's like a heist movie, honestly. I was watching it and was like, oh my god, Tron is a heist movie. Except the people doing the heisting are Jeff Bridges pretending to be a computer program accompanied by two other computer programs worming their way through a mainframe to steal data from the insidious master control program um, as they are um, besieged by his henchman, Sark. And it's just like, all of this is happening in a goddamn computer in 1982. The idea of something happening in a computer in 1982 beyond the realm of fantasy. This was normal yet. We didn't have the 90s where computer horror was like a whole genre. We didn't have virtuosity. We didn't have Lawnmower Man. Um what a big swing of the imagination this one was and directed by Steven Lisberger who if you know other movies directed by Steven Lisberger congratulations to you slipstream animal olympics hot pursuit i have no damn idea what those movies are but i want to go find them now because i know Steven Lisberger directed Tron and i love Tron so much Bruce Boxleitner, what a square-jawed hero. The other friend that I went and saw it with, um, she pointed out that he looked like Clark Kent. And I was like, you're right. This guy has got a... Boxleitner as as Tron has some serious Christopher Reeve Clark Kent happening for him. And babyface Jeff Bridges. God, I, you forget that the man looked like an angel. I just... I want another Tron, you guys. I... I had a great time with Legacy. What did I need from Legacy? I needed to be inside a computer and I needed to hear the words Tron and Clue and I got everything I wanted of it. Do I remember anything about the story? I don't know. It's probably a heist movie again inside of a computer. Sounds good to me. Give me Tron 3. Give me Tron the series. Where is the high dollar like HBO or Amazon production uh, that's going to give me Tron the series where I just don't ever have to leave this world for hours on end? Sounds awesome. Um, yeah, so I just want to shout out to Tron, a uh, beloved to me, but sort of bit of a butt of the joke kind of uh, film historically. And this is me saying that was some bullshit, you guys. Tron still it's a holds up. stands the test time. What a silly, fun, wonderful, specific time. Uh, go seek it out. Uh, and if you get lucky enough, go see it in a theater. And if you get super lucky, see it on Disney's 70 millimeter print. So that is it. That is our show. Uh, one extra bonus thing. Thank you to everybody who became a Maximum Fun member or boosted or upgraded during the Max Fun drive. I bullied you. I nagged you. I harassed you. I asked you nicely, but mostly I did those other things where I taunted you and, and asked you to join and support Max Fund overall and support the show specifically. And a lot of you did that. We had a really great first drive. The day before this episode comes out was just our six-month anniversary of the show. So please know that your vote of confidence in our little podcast here was so valuable and so valued. We feel seen by all of you, and I look forward to to checking in with you again in this exact same fashion six months from now Uh, and that is this show for today you can follow us on Twitter at feelingseenpod or send us an email at feelingseenatmaximumfun.org if you want to follow me I'm Jor Crew on Twitter it's J-O-R-C-R-U our theme music is by Andrew Epen. the show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher and this is a production of Maximum Fun